Dr. David Reiner, thank you very much indeed for talking to Judge Business School podcast series today. We're going to talk about low-carbon policy and cutting greenhouse gas emissions. Why do you think greenhouse gas emissions could be uh, cut um, if we looked at the electricity-generating industry? Why is that so important? Well, uh, there are a number of reasons why focusing on the electricity sector is important. One is that arguably we are... We already have what you might call a carbon tax in, uh, in the transport sector in the sense that uh, we have uh, already very high taxes on, on petrol. Um, and, and we find that there's only so far you can go in, in sort of adding uh, taxes in that direction. Um, whereas uh, electricity is one area where, where there's actually qu- quite a bit uh, that could be done. And at the moment, most of our electricity comes from either coal... Uh, um, natural gas or, or, or to some extent nuclear and both coal and natural gas are major sources of, of CO2 emissions And so electricity it's the, it's the, the major um, way in which we, we generate light, heat in our, in our home and luxury so, so how would we go about this if we did want to cut those carbon emissions? Well, it's, it's a major challenge uh, to, to replace the, the coal-fired uh, generation and, and, then t- and, to a lesser extent, the natural gas-fired uh, generation. You would need to bring in other low-carbon technologies. So that means either more nuclear power, um, uh, renewables such as, such as wind or solar, and, and ideas of, of, of using perhaps uh, fossil energy but with uh, capturing the, the carbon dioxide and, and storing it uh, underground. Um, so that, that, w- that would be quite a dramatic shift from where we, from where we are today. You, you, you would have to sort of radically uh, change uh, the way that our, our electricity system is structured. And, and any ideas for those radical changes? Where should we begin or is that too difficult? Oh no, I mean again it's, 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 it's a question in part of, of funding. Uh, so uh, what you would need to do would be to incentivize uh, these technologies. At the moment, if left to the market, uh, they would probably mostly be building gas turbines because uh, they're cheap, they can be deployed relatively quickly, uh, they don't meet a lot of uh, op- environmental opposition, uh, whereas um, something like a, a nuclear power plant or even a wind turbine uh, often, often faces uh, local siting uh, challenges uh, and and uh, some of these technologies need uh, need a bit of a subsidy in terms of um, being able to compete with fossil uh, technologies, particularly uh, natural gas at the moment so so the real challenge is if we are t- going to to bring these technologies to market, we are going to have to have some uh, differential. We have it a bit in in, in renewables but but um, our our uh, uh, meaning the UK approach to uh, bringing renewables to market has been far less successful than it's been in many other countries such as uh, Germany, Denmark, Spain, and so on, where they, we see a much larger share of, of, of wind power in uh, the electricity generating mix. So you seem to be saying that we can use that good old-fashioned stick-and-carrot approach that actually a bit of thought leadership and direction of the market can, can influence the outcomes from the mar- market and thereby we can cut our carbon emissions more. Yeah, the big challenge, of course, is that it's it's um, it's not just uh, uh, thought leadership. It a- actually has to be reaching into uh, each reaching into our pockets, whether either as as consumers uh, by paying paying more, or uh, similarly as as taxpayers. Uh, I did say stick and carrot. <laughs> stick and carrot. That's fair enough. Fair enough. So we do need we, uh, so we do need that, that thought leadership, but we also again need uh, need what will be uh, 
you know, uh, billions of pounds to actually uh, uh, seriously decarbonize the, uh, the electricity sector. Now, moving on, the, the UN uh, road to Copenhagen talks in December, where the G countries will, will be present too, is that going to make a significant progress on this level? Um, one lives in hope. Uh, but but uh, but I think it will be a major challenge. Um, you you have um, uh, major developing countries, emerging economies in, in China and India uh, that feel, I think, quite rightly, uh, that um, their growth has been driven by uh, increased electrification, increased use of energy, uh, and they also feel that uh, the historical responsibility for the 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 mess you're in, the, the mess that we're in, if you will, the the the, the, the current situation in terms of climate change, uh, has to do with uh, with the the emissions that were that were uh, um, contributed by developed economies. Uh, now, the, that, that's true. That, that's a very very true and very legitimate point. The problem, of course, is that looking into the future for the next thirty odd years, fifty years. Uh, it will be those emerging economies where we're going to see more and more of, of the, the share of, of emissions coming from. So we have this tension where the, the, the developed world will be trying to put pressure on uh, the, the developing world, particularly the faster-growing emerging economies, and those emerging economies will quite, quite legitimately be pushing back and say, no, we're not interested in, in, in taking on uh, uh, measures. So I think that will be, I think, one of the one of the biggest sticking points uh, at, at Copenhagen. Because a lot of people are saying, well, they're not over-optimistic about what can be achieved because there are so many different countries, actually with so many different agendas. But the third world does seem to feel that financial instruments are needed, that they sometime, somehow need a financial redress to the carbon emissions problem. Oh, and I, and I think even, even Gordon Brown and, and uh, Barack Obama and others have, have made clear that... that uh, to to, to um, credibly try and engage with developing countries, you need to uh, inc- include financing. You, you need to bring financing into the mix and, 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 and technology transfer, and uh, and that would be one of the key ways of, of accomplishing it. But but again, what 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 the uh, the sum that uh, that developed uh, economies would be willing to provide, and 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 the and the 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 goal that the the, the developing countries would want to see, could be quite different, and I think will be quite different. And I think that's that that is the gap that needs to be to be bridged somehow. And you know, being in in 2009 at the moment, where most major economies feeling in uh, in recession or or dealing with the uh, the, the fallout of of uh, uh, the financial crisis of, of last year, it's to be expected that uh, that writing checks for 100 billion pounds or euros or dollars will be very difficult uh, to imagine, but that might well be what developing countries are looking for if, if you would be talking about a very serious effort to uh, to reduce uh, CO2 emissions there. Yeah, because there is this huge sense of grievance that, that we in, in the West are the, the greenhouse gas emitters and, and you know, people talk about population control in in the developing world, but but there's nothing like industrialization to to gobble up uh, and and to emit those greenhouse gases. So so do you do you think that perhaps on one level the UN Road to Copenhagen t- talks can work because it gets everybody around the table, it gets everybody seeing regardless of the outcomes that they want to pursue a common agenda and it's in their common interests to, to cut these greenhouse gas emissions. 
Um, it, it, as, as a talk shop, as, as, a, as, a, as a, a venue for discussing these issues, I think it's, it's important. Um, but the problem is having 190 so, or so countries um, around a negotiating table is not feasible. And what you wind up having in, in a UN uh, forum uh, such as this is that it, it still boils down to backroom deals between a handful of, of, of major major players, the U.S., the European Union, Japan, uh, China, India, uh, and so on. So, um, uh, yes, it's true that you have all these countries represented, but, but, but in reality, um, it's not even the G20. It's really kind of a, even a smaller club that will need to be making these, these, uh, these important uh, decisions, important sort of bargaining uh, that, that will determine whether Copenhagen overall is, is successful. If, if China and India agree... Not that it doesn't matter if if uh, uh, Botswana and 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 Peru uh, are are uh, are part of those discussions. This will be seen as a very successful uh, outcome. If China and India don't agree, it really doesn't matter uh, what what some of the smaller economies might might do. The uh, a road to Copenhagen talks are also are being aided in a way by the grassroots ten ten campaign um, from the makers of the film The Age of of Stupid. Um, and Fanny Armstrong. Do you think that you mentioned earlier putting your hand in your own pockets, and we were talking about sticking carrots there, but, 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 but do you think that mobilising people on this one, to one level is important too? Can it make a lot of difference if we as individuals decide not to fly, to recycle more, to give up our cars and walk? Uh, and there's much merit to, to, uh, uh, to, to trying to think about our, our own carbon footprint. And, and, and clearly... Uh, we as individuals have an enormous uh, impact. Uh, the problem with any such campaign is, is um, it, it might distract us from what I would argue are uh, sort of the real uh, issues, which is that we need to decarbonize the supply. Uh, you need to actually say, well, yes, w- one might use as an individual 10% less electricity, but if that electricity is coming from coal plants and, and gas plants, uh, uh, natural gas fired plants, it won't still make all that much of a difference in terms of the the um, the scale of the challenge of what we're talking about uh, which is a very serious uh, you know very substantially decarbonizing our economies not by a few percent but but very dramatically and because we have sort of underlying or we hope underlying economic growth that's going to be driving our economies and because one might not expect that everybody will be going along with these sorts of campaigns other than sort of a, a, a subset of, of the population. We need to ensure that whether or not you go along with a, a 10-10 campaign, that when you turn the lights on, they aren't contributing uh, significantly to, 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 uh, to, to, to global uh, greenhouse gas emissions. If we have a change of government, and people are talking about that, that we may have a general election in Britain in May 2010, um, we have a Labour government at the moment, if we had a Conservative government or some kind of coalition government, Labour and Liberal Democrat or Conservative and Liberal Democrat, do you think that would make a, a, a difference to the policies that are being pursued? Um, the, the parties would, al- al- would always say so. Um, but, but the challenge, of course, is imagining what actually happens when they get into, uh, into government. Um, uh, the Conservatives frequently say that, that Labour hasn't moved aggressively enough on a number of these, of these areas. Uh, but governments, new governments are often known to get into office and, and then say, oh, well, 
now that we look at the books, now that we look at the accounts, we realize it might not be quite so easy to to give the sort of subsidies that we're uh, that we had hoped for. Uh, so, what are the major policy differences? Come on, what are the Conservatives going to do? They're very much the party of rural England, aren't they? Well, I, th- I think I, I think there are a couple of issues. W- one of the big issues has to do with uh, siting and infrastructure siting, and and. Uh, uh, um, just because you're in favor of, of uh, more renewables doesn't mean uh, you would want to sort of short-circuit uh, the democratic process. Uh, are, uh, there have been concerns that this sort of new in- infrastructure planning commission might well, w- might well do so. Uh, so I think one of the, one of, which, which again is a labor-led uh, uh, effort to, to try and ensure that we get more, more of these sites uh, built, whether those are nuclear power plants or, uh, uh, or, or wind, wind farms. Um, when, when the um, conservatives come to power, there'll be this tension, the same way there's all other tensions within the conservative party on, on, on other issues, uh, over, over whether the, the, they will accept or whether they will continue this effort to, to uh, not quite bypass uh, the, 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 uh, the more traditional planning process, but at least expedite it and speed it up. So, so that, I think that's going to be one of the major challenges. Uh, if you did envision uh, a, a coalition government or some sort of hung parliament, one of the, the, the principles that the, the Liberal Democrats have is that they are not uh, very much in favor of nuclear. Uh, and so one could hypothetically imagine that, that uh, the Liberal Democrats might put that in as one of, uh, one of the elements of a... Uh, of a coalition agreement. You've seen that in, in Germany, for example, where the uh, long-standing um, uh, sort of a, a grand coalition has, has given way to a, a conservative and, and a free democrat uh, coalition, which, which has reversed the trend towards uh, reverse the trends, trend away from nuclear in Germany and, and has, has sort of put a halt uh, to, to the um, uh, to a sort of early termination or, or to the termination of, of, of nuclear uh, plants in, in Germany. So one might imagine that, that in a, depending upon uh, the, the, uh, the arrangement, that, that you could have uh, you know, quite, quite substantial impacts on, on, you seem on to be, energy policy. You seem to be saying there are major policy differences between the three parties on this issue. Well, I, I think major overstates it somewhat in, in the sense that they all believe in... in, in um, uh, uh, in, in very aggressive climate policy, uh, they all agreed on this very uh, these long-term targets of, of a eighty uh, percent reduction by by twenty fifty uh, in emissions. Uh, they they agree uh, in their support of, of renewables. They all agree in their support of, of carbon capture and storage. But I would I always say that they all they all agree on on green taxes. But in spite of the fact that all three major parties agree on green taxes, we don't actually see very many. Uh, green taxes, and I think that's because uh, there's a, a good deal of concern as to as to uh, how uh, not the the political elites, but but the average uh, consumer will view uh, increased taxes on 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 driving their uh, uh, driving their automobile or or flying to uh, Spain for their holiday. Yes, uh, thank you very much indeed for talking to the Judge Business School podcast series today. I've enjoyed it very much. Thank you.